Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We test drive the growing market for electric cars. What are they like to drive? And more importantly, how do the finances stack up? Terry Smith, the veteran fund manager and founder of Fundsmith, calls in to tell us about Smithson, a new investment trust that will invest in global small and mid-cap stocks, and the growing problem of problem debt in the UK. Following Wonga's collapse last week, our money mentor Lindsay Cook looks at the long-term consequences of short-term debts. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. Electric vehicles, they've graduated from being a niche environmental concern to a serious proposition for mainstream motorists as battery technology comes of age, and manufacturers are preparing to flood the forecourse with greener vehicles. But could they tip your finances into the red? Here to discuss with us is Peter Campbell, the FT's motor industry correspondent. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Well, I have to say... Well done, because your article in FT Money last weekend about whether you should buy an electric car received nearly 300 comments online, which is a bit of a record, and proof that more and more of us are considering buying an electric vehicle. Yes, that's right. Um, Electric cars, they're increasingly becoming more and more choice for consumers. Uh, They're going to be more than 20 models released over the next two years. And so I think possibly for for the first time ever, car buyers are seriously considering electric or hybrid vehicles because they see more and more of them around and they read about them uh, more in the press. Uh, And that's resulted in longer waiting times for them. Many of the new models that have come out have got waiting times of about six months for them. Mm. Even earlier this week, we had Mercedes launching its new electric car, the Jaguar electric car uh, comes out in the autumn and as we get into next year we're going to see more and more models uh, coming out and the price tags of these vehicles they've you know they're, they're of ft reader proportions i have to say some of them yeah, they're still incredibly expensive for what they are i mean the sticker price on a nissan leaf is about 25 to twenty-seven thousand pounds uh, which is far more than you'd pay for a, a, a nissan of equivalent size with a traditional engine in it's almost twice the amount uh, but the advantage electric cars have is their running costs. Uh, the servicing costs are a fraction uh, of those of traditional cars. It's because electric cars have far fewer moving parts inside them to go wrong. Uh, but also the fuel costs. Uh, you spend uh, probably £80 every time you fill up on fuel, but electric cars you'll charge most likely at home where you pay almost nothing to charge them overnight, maybe a few pounds. Uh, and that means uh, uh, if you look at it on the basis of what the industry calls total cost of ownership, electric cars are very quickly approaching parity with combustion vehicles. Uh, there's also lots of other savings. Uh, you don't pay London's congestion charge. Uh, if you have to pay for your local parking, quite often that's uh, very cheap or sometimes free with electric vehicles. Uh, so there are lots of other normal costs that are 
that it affect electric cars beyond just the sticker price that everyone sees. Absolutely. But the real test, I think, is what are they like to drive? And you have been testing out various models at Silverstone. I did, we, did, we did some uh, incredibly serious tests on these cars, and they are fabulous to drive. Actually, the driving experience of an electric car is almost unlike anything else. It's quick, it's silent, uh, there are no gears, and so uh, you have sort of instant acceleration at any speed level, which means if you need to overtake you know, a tractor um, you know, on a country road, you can do so quickly and safely. Uh, and so we took, a, we took a Tesla, high-end Tesla, to Silverstone and, and actually drag-raced it against an Aston Martin, and it completely wiped the floor with it. I mean, the acceleration on these things is unbelievable. And so I think when many people get into electric cars, even cheap electric cars, you know, the Nissan Leaf or the Hyundai Kona, once they get in, they'll never want to go back to an internal combustion engine. But what's the biggest worry of people who drive an electric car? The biggest worry is undoubtedly range and still will be range for some time to come. So basically, how far you can drive? How far without... you can go without it running out. Now, we had, we did actually have this experience in the Tesla. We'd forgotten, I'd forgotten to plug it in at home oh, overnight. And, um, and as a result, the next morning I was out filming uh, some more shots for the video and uh, the Tesla had all these warning lights came on. You're running out of battery. You're out of range of one of our superchargers. Uh, and so we had to go and find somewhere else to try and charge it, which, which wasn't a quick charger. It was a slow charger. And I've spoken for the piece to lots of electric vehicle owners, and some of them have had similar experiences. You know, If you arrive at a motorway service area desperately in need of a charge and the charger is broken, uh, you're pretty snookered. Uh, and so I think for a lot of people, for most people in ordinary day-to-day journeys, they're absolutely perfect. No one drives more than 200 miles a day normally but for long distance journeys you'll have to top up at motorway service areas and so i think that is what is probably holding a lot of people back from uh, from getting an electric car but once that question is solved then i i'd see no reason why they're not going to absolutely explode in popularity well thanks so much there to peter campbell the ft's motor correspondent you can read his feature should you buy an electric car and better still watch the video um, that the ft made of peter test driving electric cars they're both online now on our website ft.com slash money Fundsmith, the fund management business set up by veteran city stock picker Terry Smith, says it will absorb all of the launch costs of a new investment trust it plans to bring to market next month, a move that has reignited the debate over the level of investment fees charged to retail investors. Joining me now on the line is none other than Terry Smith himself. Welcome to the My Show, Terry. Thank you. So why are you calling the new investment trust Smithson? Well, it's a pun. The, the trust is going to invest in businesses that are smaller uh, and mostly, of course, younger than the, uh, the large companies that we invested in the main fund, Smith Equity Fund. So we thought Smithson would be, uh, would be a good way of expressing what it is in a single term, which uses my surname. Pun, really. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. So targeting smaller companies, but with global growth opportunities, perhaps best sums up the investment approach. Yeah, I think that's pretty close. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we seek. But it could involve chicken wings. It could involve chicken wings, yeah. One of the examples of a company that's in our, what we call our investable universe of 83 companies that we've currently researched that we will be interested in investing in is an American food franchise business called Wingstop, which uh, uh, I would think most UK uh, readers or listeners will probably not have heard of, but it's been very successful so far. It uh, sells chicken wings as its main dish, and it's basically formatted uh, like a 50s diner, which is 
I guess, the unique selling point, if you like. Um, and at the moment, it's about a $2 billion market capitalization company. So it would be much too small for us to put nowadays in the main Fundsmith Equity Fund, which is a, a £17 billion fund fund uh, with an average position size of about 600 to 700 million pounds. I mean, clearly we'd end up owning about a third of the company, which is something that we would not be prepared to do. No, too, that much uh, chicken wings uh, you know, could be bad for anyone, frankly. But... A, lot of, a lot of wings, yeah. <laughs> but, so, but within, within the, um, the investable universe, as you say, obviously that's a, a good example of a consumer stock yeah. that is um, attracting your attention, but there, you gave us some other examples in the FT story of tech stocks and, and, yeah. and other small companies companies. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, we've got a, a range of things which are in similar areas to the, the main fund. So, you know, concentrating in things like uh, consumer and healthcare and technology, but which are smaller and uh, growing much faster as a result, which is one of the great advantages they bring. So, I mean, other examples would be uh, we're interested in medical technology, uh, particularly medical equipment and devices. Well, so we're all living longer. We're getting sicker. Yeah, we are living longer and we use more of this stuff as a result. The one that I would point to that's in the investable universe for the new Smithson uh, Investment Trust is AMBU, A-M-B-U, which is the largest maker of disposable endoscopes. Endoscopes are the things that they uh, put uh, inside you to have a look around if there's something wrong particularly with your digestive system in particular, uh, is a use of it. Um, one of the great uh, disadvantages of using is uh, that if they're not properly disinfected, you can get rather bad uh, infections mm. when they're reused. Uh, one way around that is to make a one-use endoscope, and then you don't take the risk. The bit that goes inside is disposable. Um, and it's particularly uh, advantageous in the developing world where sterilization procedures uh, shall we say, are not always easy to enforce. And uh, so that's an example. Another one would be um, in our main Fundsmith Equity Fund, we own Amadeus, one of our largest holdings, which is the world's leading airline reservation uh, service based in Madrid. Uh, in the new fund, in the Investable Universe, is Sabre, which is the leading American system for airline reservations. So you know, there are companies which are direct read across, if you like, from the existing fund, except they're smaller and, as I say, in the main growing faster. The, the son of, um, as the name entails. So let's talk about the fees now. So why have you, first of all, opted for an investment trust vehicle? And what's so different about the way that you're structuring fees? Yeah, I mean, the investment trust vehicle really is there for two reasons. One is liquidity reasons. The average company that in our investor universe for the Smithson uh, Investment Trust is about a £7 billion company, whereas in our main fund, it's a £100 billion company. And clearly, the liquidity is not the same uh, in the in the £7 billion companies. And in our view, you should put an open-ended fund, which is what our main fund is, with daily dealing, so people can ask for their money back any day and get it, you shouldn't use that structure for things which have got limited liquidity. If you looked at what happened to the UK uh, property REITs Indeed. after, the, uh, after the, uh, the Brexit referendum uh, shock result, uh, all of them had to basically prevent uh, holders from making redemptions because, of course, the underlying assets are illiquid. So we wanted to avoid that problem. Uh, so this is a closed-end fund in which we're not going to hit by, by either redemptions or inflows uh, in the fund. That's the first thing. The other thing is the need for the fund, in our view, has arisen because our main fund has grown to uh, quite a, a significant size of £17 billion, and it can't invest in the wing stops uh, of this world. So if we did another open-ended fund, and if we were successful and attracted a lot of money, we would be back in the same problem very quickly. So the, only, the, the most effective way of, uh, of limiting the amount of money we raise is simply to make it a closed-end fund. 
uh, the amount we raise is it. Okay? We don't have to take any new money. And okay. lots of debate about the fact that you're going to absorb the launch fees for investors. Yeah, I think that's a well, first, we're told, in the investment trust industry. Normally, these things, of course, go through a, a, it's an IPO process, basically, to float the investment trust. There are some significant costs involved in doing that. You have to pay intermediaries for their fees and services and the raising of the money and all that kind of fine stuff. And one of the things that... Uh, investors have against the investment trust structure when they're, they're looking at it is that they put in their um, ours will be a 10 pound share price on on day one that we're pitching it uh, but actually they've only got sort of nine pound 50 of assets the following day because all the fees have to be paid we thought we'd take away that uh, disadvantage by absorbing all of the issue costs and i don't think anyone's ever done that before so all of the uh, professional advisors fees and any payments to intermediaries for the amount of money raised will be made by the fundsmith partnership and and not by the fund itself so and why, but why would you up. why would you do that terry you're a smart investor this is clearly going to cost well, you money yeah um, <laughs> yes allegedly uh, well it's certainly going to cost me money up front but like many investments you know i will be making that investment or we will be making that investment up front in the hope that over the years the investment fees that we get back in the fund will recoup our investment and, and pay us a, a decent return on that initial investment that we're making. So, you know, it's it is a calculated thing, absolutely. I mean, it's not the it's not a uh, you know an act of philanthropy. It's just an act of uh, you know sort of calculated uh, investment risk, if you like. Yeah, and unusually, you're also looking at the way that the annual management fee is going to be charged. What's going to be different about that? Yeah, well, normally the, the annual management fee is charged on the net asset value of the fund. Um, we're going to charge it on the market value, the so-called market capitalization of the fund. And the reason we do that is twofold. Um, one is that's what the investors actually get, if you like. Um, they can't sell their shares at the NAV. They can only sell them at the market price. So that's what really governs the, the return that they will get as investors. So we're pegging it on that because we think that uh, that most closely aligns our interests as managers with the investors' interest in terms of what they can get. It also means that another criticism of investment trusts is many of them uh, trade at a discount to NAV over time. Uh, if it does trade at a discount to NAV, it will reduce the amount of our fees. So it gives us an incentive to prevent it trading at a discount, which you can pretty much always do if you're sensible because you can just buy back stock and reduce the discount. Of course, many managers are reluctant to do that because it cuts the size of the fund which they're managing, but we all have an incentive to do it properly by the way that this fund is set on the market value, not the NAV. Well, thanks very much there to Terry Smith, the founder of Fundsmith. To read Terry's latest column in FT Money, you can look on our website, ft.com slash money. And do remember, the information provided in the FT Money podcast does not constitute investment advice. The topics discussed are for general information only, and appropriate independent advice should be obtained before making any investment decisions. Finally, last week's collapse of Wonga, the UK's biggest payday lender, has raised serious questions about where those with an impaired credit history will be able to turn for a loan of last resort. Even if podcast listeners are lucky enough not to have experienced problem debt firsthand, it is a problem that should worry us all, says the FT's money mentor columnist Lindsay Cook, and she joins me in the studio now. Welcome, Lindsay. Good morning. So in the 10 years since the credit crunch, how has the nature of problem debt in Britain changed? Well, credit cards are still a problem. And the thing is with them, people manage them by making the minimum payments or they have two or three cards and they swap them round so they don't get picked up by the um, credit card companies. A bigger problem now are the household bills. Uh, things like council tax, water bills, gas, electricity, even rent. If your wage hasn't gone up, 
and you are struggling to pay everything every week or month, um, those things can get neglected. Um, They shouldn't do and you need to get your budget sorted out. But there are millions of people unable to pay their council tax, gas, electricity, etc. And this is becoming a big problem because of the way that those problem debts are being collected. Yes, unlike credit cards, local councils will send in the bailiffs and they do it frequently. Uh, Last year, they sent in the bailiffs 2.3 million times and mostly that was for council tax arrears. And the unfortunate thing is not all of the people owe money or the amount that is said. And the bailiffs uh, come in, they come knocking... Six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday is a frequent time that they arrive because, one, they can get people at home and, two, they know that the council offices won't be open and so there isn't going to be any argument with somebody in another office. They just come and say, this is what they say you owe. If you don't pay it now, we'll start um, marking your goods for removal. So what are your rights if a bailiff were to come knocking? For household debts you don't have to let them in. If it's a criminal debt, sort of you haven't paid your fines, then you do have to let them in. You don't have to let them in. They can't come to your house between 9pm and 6am. If you let them in to discuss what luxury items they should take, and it should be luxuries, they cannot take things that are tools of your work. So a laptop may well qualify as that. A motorcycle, messengers, uh, motorbike would qualify as that. They cannot take things belonging to other other people in the household. So if you owe the council tax and you share with other people, they can't say, oh, we'll have his telly and her. You know, they, they've got to only take the things or mark the things that are um, that are yours. So obviously a very stressful situation that millions of, of people every year are finding themselves in. Um, but with the collapse of Wonga and the general demise of payday lending, if, if people can't pay up and they can't get an emergency loan from an online operator, then what are they going to do? Well, first of all, when the bailiffs call, um, they have an arrangement that if you seek debt advice, they have to give you a 30-day breathing space. Right Now, there isn't necessarily enough debt advice available in the marketplace, but it does give you time to start looking at um, which of your bills absolutely have to be paid to protect your home, etc. And it may be that um, they negotiate something with the council. You don't negotiate with the bailiffs. They are just there, I want the money. You have to negotiate with the person you owe the money to. And also, councils can't take you to court if you can't afford it. There have been cases in the past where they've taken people to court and even had them sent to prison for not paying their council tax. But if they can't afford it, it's not something they should go to prison for. And therefore, that was wrongly done. So you need to take debt advice. I'm reluctant to suggest any of the guarantor loans, etc., that are the new breed, because these people owe money and they say oh my mum owns a house or my sister owns a house I'll get her to guarantor the loan I take out from this company their high interest rates they're probably 500% instead of 5,000% but they're still high Mm. and if you don't pay the the loan 
your mum or your sister ends up having to bail you out. And presumably pay all of the interest. Oh, um, absolutely. In the meantime. Yes. Oh, interesting. Well, thank you very much there to Lindsay Cook. You can read her Money Mentor column this week, Why Millions Fear the Bailiff's 6am Knock. That's in the FT Money section this weekend. Find us inside the main FT Weekend newspaper, available for sale on Saturday, or look on our website, ft.com slash money. That's it from The Money Show this week. If you would like to get in touch with our reporters or panel of experts, then email us money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter for the latest news updates at FT Money. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.